The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea, also they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. Let's pray. God, thank you so much um, for your word, um, for bringing it to us this morning. I pray for Randall as he preaches, that you will speak through him to us by your Holy Spirit. Um, God, open our hearts to hear what you have for us today and to be sensitive and surrendered to uh, whatever it is you want us to learn or change. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. All right, good morning, everybody. If I haven't met you, my name is Randall, and I'm the pastor of Grace City. It's great to see you this morning. Uh, one of the things that we've been doing uh, throughout the years, we've been walking through, uh, verse by verse, the book of Acts. And so we've been looking at Acts, and we are uh, in the second portion of Acts now, the second half of Acts, uh, working through uh, the missionary journeys that have been going on with the Apostle Paul. And so I'm glad that you're joining us this morning. This is your first time. Again, welcome. We're so grateful that you're here. Um, you know, just a little bit about me right now. One of the things that I'm doing is I am uh, coaching my, my girls uh, in soccer. And one of the things that I've realized is it's easy to get distracted uh, when you have eight and nine-year-old girls trying to figure out this game and it's the first time they've ever done it, right? Like it's like, I'm like, okay, um, pass the ball. And they're like standing there frozen, right? They don't know what to do. And, and then on top of that, it's like, the teams that they're playing, it's like they, they have been playing for a long time. And so um, they, they know what they're doing. And, and, and so it, it feels like I'm like trying to teach them, okay, what, what, what are the basics, right? Like what are the things that really matter? Those things are important. And I know it's easy to get distracted right now because it looks like everybody else around you is doing different things and it looks a little crazy and a little weird. But like what is the things that matter most right now? And I'm telling you, it's a hard job. It is a really hard job of get, getting them together and helping them to understand the basics. But I want you to know today, as we look through the book of Acts and as we've been pushing through and, and really learning, what are the basics? What are the things that, that make the church the church? Focus on those things. I know there's a lot of distractions, but, but what is the church? What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? That's why we've been going through the book of Acts. And so we're, we're journeying through, and we're all the way in Acts 17, uh, verses 10 through 15. So again, if you've got your Bibles, uh, you can open up there. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, too, we, we want to resource you with that. And so we have a, a connections area outside. Uh, there's free Bibles there. So please grab one if you don't have one. Um, but our, to, our message today is this, examined by the Word. Examined by the Word. In 2018, there was a video that was posted to YouTube entitled, Giving My Colorblind Papa in Chroma Glasses. 
Today that video has over 10 million views. And if you haven't seen the video, it's, it's the video of a 66-year-old man on his birthday receiving this special type of glasses from his kids. They'd gathered all their money together to get this for their dad. And this type of glasses uh, helps people that have color blindness to be able to see color the way that it was, it was really created and meant to be for the very first time. And this video is, is really a, a powerful video because um, what they did was they put these different colored balloons in front of him and, and they said, okay, here's this box, open up this box, and he opens it up and he looks at it and they explain it to him and then he takes the glasses and he puts them on. And there's this moment where he puts them on and then he takes them off. And he pauses. And he starts to tear up. And he puts them back on and he says, wow, this is what the world looks like? This is what those, that's what those colors look like? And then he had this brightly colored uh, Florida Gators hat on. And he took it off and he's a fan and he looked at it and he's like, that's what it looks like. You know, it's like this bright colored hat. Wow, that's what it looks like? I've been wearing that the whole time? For the first time, he could see the world in all its vivid color. And in today's text, the Apostle Paul is teaching the Berean people about Jesus. And what he's doing is he's giving them this, this lens to examine the scriptures, to look through, to see. And for the time that they've been studying the scriptures, they've been looking at it in black and white. But now he's given them this lens, which is the key to life and to seeing the scriptures and unlocking that color for the very first time. And so what does it mean to be examined by the word? Well, I think first it's understanding that God's word is like no other book. It's like no other book that you're going to pick up off a shelf somewhere or order off of Amazon. But it's different. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I want you to look at that for a minute because what it says is this, that for the word, for what we're going to study later, the logos, the word of God is not sitting on a, a page but says that it's living and active. A.W. Tozer once said, approach the Bible not only as a book which was once spoken, but a book which is now speaking. Which is now speaking. Right Today, what, what is it that brought you here? What, what is it that, that, that you wanted to walk out with today? My hope is that you find that there's a living word that speaks to you right where you're at right now. It's to be examined by the word. And so again, our, our text is Acts 17, 10 through 15. And just to give a little context of what's happening here, there, uh, Paul and Silas are in a new city, and this new city is called Berea. They traveled uh, 50 miles from uh, Thessalonica, which they were just in. It was a three-night journey. And up to this point, Paul and Silas have been imprisoned. They've been beaten up. 
They've been rejected. They've, they've been told, leave the city for your own safety. But we find that this team of missionaries is undeterred from their mission. And today, Paul comes to a group of people who are ready to hear what he has to say, to examine what he says about God, and ultimately to see if it's real. Is it real? Is what he's saying true? So what is Paul sharing with them? Well, that's, uh, that's so important for their lives. Well, there are three insights that God brings to life in this text. And I want to say he brings it to life because that's what's happening here. It's, it's, it's being brought to life. It's, it's coming off the page for them. And I hope it comes off the page for us today. And so here's what it is. It's about, number one, receiving the word. Number two, searching the scriptures. Number three, believing the message. Receiving the word, searching the scriptures, and believing the message. So the first one is receiving the word. Uh, Verse 11, look at verse 11. It says, now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness. So when it talks about the people of Berea, it talks about specifically um, the the Jewish people that were living there. They they said that there was a contrast from what they experienced in the previous city. And it calls them more noble. Now, Now this Greek term for noble is that they were more welcoming, more generous, more teachable. There was a humility about these people. And again, it was a stark contrast of character with the Jewish leaders uh, that they met previously. What Jesus would have said is this is what, what is called good soil. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 13 in the parable of the sower. Matthew 13, 8 through 9, it says, uh, Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop. A hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Again, there was, a, there was a teachability that these people had as they came into the city. What, what is it that, that this man has to say about God? And Paul is preaching something specifically to the Bereans. Well, what, what is he preaching? Well, it's the same message, and he talks about this all throughout the Scripture. It's the same message that he was preaching everywhere else. We see it at the beginning of the chapter in chapter 17 here. Look at verse 3 in in, in Acts 17. It says, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. What's he saying here? Well, we need to understand that there are many different types of Jesuses that get preached Right? There's different ideas about who Jesus is and what he came to do. For some of us, if we think of the, the writings of C.S. Lewis, he said, you know, Jesus presents himself in a way where we either have to say that he's a lunatic, a liar, or he's Lord. Right? That's the only way that Jesus basically presents himself to be. And so when the Apostle Paul talks about, I'm, I'm telling you, this Jesus, whom I proclaim, is the Christ. He's saying, this Jesus is Lord. He's God. And so, as we think about what the real Jesus is like, 
What is he like? Well, it says that it's the Jesus that suffered for our sin. Ultimately, that died in our place. That rose from the dead. That is Lord and Savior. And for some of us, we might have grown up in church and we've heard that before. For others of us, that might be the very first time that we've heard that. And there's a difference, right, of, of just growing up and hearing that our whole lives or, or maybe for us today, not really understanding that and hearing that for the first time. And so I think part of this is, is understanding that what Paul is doing is making this personal because it's the same group. It was a very mixed group of people that were hearing this message. There were people that were of Jewish descent that had heard about God and about his Messiah many times. They knew the word. But there were also, it says, that were Greeks that were there that maybe this was the first time they'd ever heard that. And so it might represent the group that we have today. And so to make this personal and to help us understand a little bit better, I want to focus in on what is translated as the word. Now, the Greek word for this is logos. And, and to give some context here of what's happening and then to bring it down to our level today and, and help us understand this, there were debates during the time of Jesus amongst the Greeks about the word logos. Um, and, and what this argument was about was this. They, they said the logos is your script for life. What we would call purpose. Do you have a purpose? Do I have a purpose? There was arguments about the Logos. And so what is the Logos? Is there a Logos? So there was one camp in the Greek uh, community called the Stoics, which believed, yes, the, the, there is a script for life, and the script for life is to be a good person. And so I'm going to do what's right, I'm gonna, and I'm going to know what's wrong, and I'm not going to do what's wrong, and I'm going to do what's right. And so it's, it's basically figuring out what's right and what's wrong, and just be a good person. There's another group of people called the Epicureans. And the Epicureans believed that life was all about pleasure. It was about consuming as much as you could. It was about having as many, uh, you know, experiences as you, as you can in this life and just to, to consume, consume, consume more and more experiences to make your life worthwhile. And in many ways, we live in a culture that's very similar. For some of us, we think that it's about being a good person. For others of us, we think it's about just doing whatever pleases us. But for the people then, the Greek people, um, they kind of came to the conclusion that there, there was no script. There is no meaning to life. And so basically, they said, don't think about it. And that's where... The Apostle John comes in in John chapter 1, and he says this, John 1, 1 through 5, in the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John was speaking to an audience and saying, there is a logos, there is a script for life. And he came into the world. He created the world. 
See, what we're told today is this, that our meaning of life is to be true to ourself, is to be authentic, is to be transparent. Those are good things. But it's also a lot of pressure to live up to, isn't it? And let me suggest that this generation right now, we're buckling under the pressure and the weight of it. You're being told you create yourself, that you need to create your own meaning. What we're finding is that the generations, millennials, Gen Z, sometimes they're combined, but there was a conversation recently with a doctor um, who's a professor of psychology at SDSU, San Diego State. Her name's Jean Twenge. And she did research, 25 years of research, generational research. And she finds that there's actually a, a huge gap that's happened between millennials and Gen Z. She says that there's, there's differences that we're seeing between the millennials and Gen Z. She says there's a harsh decline in mental health uh, that's among the most alarming. From 2012 to 2019, rates of clinical depression in teens doubled from 8% to 16%, which doesn't sound like a lot, but says this shift is unprecedented. Unprecedented. That shift. Friends, today, we're looking for a logos. We're looking for a script. And the, the weight and the pressure that we feel can be overbearing. Now, how is the gospel message relevant to us in that? Well, Christianity is the only identity that is received, not achieved. It's received. That's why it says they received the word. See, if you're striving to create your own identity, the pressure can be crushing. Whether it's keeping up with your online identity or your resume at work, grades in school, home expectations. Friends, it's exhausting. But here's the good news, that Jesus doesn't lay those things on your shoulders. And he doesn't lay it on mine. Jesus Christ himself laid down his identity, allowed it to be taken from him, suffered, was rejected, and he did it so that we can be received. And we could receive our identity from God, an identity that could never be taken away from us. Do you see how good that, that news is today? Do you see what that does? It humbles us. When we talk about Christianity, Christian identity says that, you know what? I'm a sinner that deserves judgment. If I were to look at my life and say, yes, I haven't measured up to even my own expectations, but in Jesus, I'm his child, fully received by God, not for anything that I can do, but everything that God has done for me. And when we talk about receiving the word, it's not just receiving an idea or a religion, but it's receiving a person. Because do you know what John was doing as he's talking about this in John chapter one? He's saying the logos is a person. It's a relationship. Jesus came in the flesh. God came among us. Do you see how that changes everything for us when we believe the gospel? It's receiving the word, and the word is Jesus. Secondly, it's searching the scriptures. Look at this, verses uh, 11 
the second part. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were true. What's happening here? Well, upon hearing about Jesus, they searched the scriptures. They started to dig into the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, to make connections to what Paul was saying. And they were finding that it was real. It was real. Things started to come to life for them. The colors started to come, and they started to see it, and it started to change them. I don't know about you, I like, I like watching movies. And I like watching those movies that say, based on a true story. Because when I watch it, I'm like, man, I want to believe that, right? Like, whoa, that, that's like a really amazing story. I love watching those movies. But one of the things that I had to start doing, because I started re- talking with people, and they're like, well, that part wasn't true. I'm like, what? That wasn't real? That was, that was Hollywood? And so I had to study, I had to like research, and so I'm using Google, right? I'm t- typing in these different movies, looking to see what parts are true, what parts are not true. And I've been disappointed at times, right? Like I've been like, man, that part wasn't, ah, oh, man, I wanted that to be true. But, but you know, but we wanted something that's real. And as the, 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 these believers are, are, are hearing these things about Jesus, it says that they received it with eagerness, what did that, that word translate to? It, it, it meant there, there was a readiness of mind. There was a readiness of mind. They, they wanted to learn. They wanted to grow. And so they started examining the scriptures. Now, here's the thing about being examined. Being examined can be uncomfortable. And we can think, well, you know, I don't know. Can, can I come to the scriptures and really examine the scriptures? I've been told, like, you can ask these questions, but you can't ask these questions type of thing. Here's the thing. The Bible never gives us those parameters like that. Maybe people have, but God doesn't. God, he can answer our deepest questions. We can come to, to him and, and examine his word. We can study the word. One of the things I, I, I do is I underline, I, I, I read more, I try to learn more. And so that, that's what we see here is happening. But examination is a process, right? How many of you enjoy going to the doctor and getting examined? Right? I, you know what I've been avoiding for a long time? The dentist. I'm like, okay, fine. My wife finally got me on her insurance with the dental. Like, okay, like, Fine. I got to go in, haven't been flossing as much as I'd like to. Like those types of things, like it, it's just uncomfortable, right? Because you're going there and you're opening up your, and they're like, see, you haven't been flossing. I know. Like, okay, how many times you brought, doing all this? Okay, I'm trying. I'm trying, okay? But being examined doesn't feel good. But as you start to examine, and, and what I said earlier, it's not just examining the scriptures. What happens is the scriptures start examining you. They start examining you. They start reading you, and then you start getting a little uncomfortable. You're saying, hold on, I, I, don't, I don't know if I believe this. I don't know about this. If there's a God, which there is, do you think he's going to agree with every opinion that you have? If he's God, right? Because if I have a God that agrees with everything that I believe, then maybe I'm the one that's sitting in the seat of God. See, the scriptures are meant to examine us. And sometimes 
It can be really great news. Sometimes it's not so great news, but ultimately the news is meant to help us. It's meant to help us. The dentist isn't there to make my life miserable, right? They got better things to do than that. Honestly, like, you know, they're, they're there to help me. A doctor's there to help me. Daryl Box says, the Christian life is an examined life. An examined life. And so the lesson is, let's not walk through life just embracing things unexamined, right? Let's examine the word. Let's ask those questions. Let's come and let's say, open ourselves up to being examined by God's word and saying, God, I need you. See, they were, here's the thing. The Bereans weren't searching to see if they were right. They were searching to see if the message was right. Do you see the difference? They weren't searching to see if they were right. They weren't eager to prove Paul wrong. They were searching to see if the message that he was preaching and proclaiming to them was right. If that's your heart, if that's your intention... That's where it needs to be. And when you start to study the scriptures and get to know who Jesus really is, at times it's gonna feel like it's, it's too good to be true. Could God really love me? Could God's grace really be sufficient for me? But that's what makes it good news. That's what makes it good news. And so it's examining the scriptures. Lastly, it's believing the message. Look at verse 12. Many of them... Therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. See, many of them therefore believed. That's what it says here. As they examined the scriptures, they couldn't deny it. They believed. See, we live in an information era right now where where we are being bombarded with news and information all the time. We are the information era and more connected than we've ever been before to opinions and ideas. But the question is, what do you believe? What do you believe? And is it really true everything that we're being told? Because it's a good thing to examine and it's something that the Bible invites us into that you personally are the one that makes the decision of whether you believe it or not. See, it's not our parents' decisions. It's not a grandmother or a grandfather or somebody else. But the question is, do I believe this? There's a group of people that came up to Jesus in John. It's in John 6, 20 through 29. And they were listening to what he was saying, and they are like, this is different. This is different. This is different from what I thought. This is different than maybe even what my ancestors told me. Like, Jesus, what, what are you talking about here? And in John 6, 28 through 29, it says they come to him and they say, what must we do to be doing the works of God? It's a good question. What, what must I do to be doing God's work? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Hold on, that's the work of God? That's what it means to be a Christian? That's what it means to be a follower of you? Is to believe in him whom 
he has sent. Who's the one? Jesus. It's believing upon Jesus, the message. He's the message that came to life, that came off the page, that came into our world. And so just some takeaways today. And this is just some application that we can really process and look at as we think about the scripture. The first one is this. Living an examined life is asking God to, number one, examine who you are. Examine who you are. If someone were to ask you today, who are you? Who am I? Like, what, what makes me me? Right? Who are you? Would you allow God to examine that question for you? Because what you're going to find is that there are a lot of ways that you can define yourself. But to receive an identity, to receive something from God, have I received an identity that can never be taken away from me, even if I lost everything? Blaise Pascal, who died very young, but he had a lot of thoughts about God, and he wrote this journal. It's just basically, it's called Pensies, but it's just thoughts is what it means. He said, not only do we know God by Jesus Christ alone, but we know ourselves only by Jesus Christ. We know life and death only through Jesus Christ. Apart from Jesus Christ, we do not know what is our life, nor our death, nor God, nor ourselves. That's a pretty bold statement. But it's in alignment with what it says in John 1, where it says that the Word became flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh. Right, that, that, this is, that, that lines up with it. And if you go down a little bit further, it says that there's an identity that God gives you and me that could never be taken away. That we could be God's children by believing on the Son, by believing in Jesus. The second point is examine what you believe. Right, examine what you believe. There's a lot of things that are being thrown at us all the time. And I think what's easy to do is just to mimic what other people believe. But the question is, like, what do you believe? Because that matters. That really does matter. Timothy Keller said, A faith without some doubts is like a human body with no antibodies in it. People who blithely go through life too busy or indifferent to ask the hard questions about why they believe as they do will find themselves defenseless against either the experience of tragedy or the probing questions of a smart skeptic. A person's faith can collapse almost overnight if she failed over the years to listen patiently to her own doubts, which should only be discarded after long reflection. Last week I was talking with a friend. It's, uh, he's a dad that's, uh, his son's on the same team as my son. And he's a scientist. He, he actually helps um, with the, the Pfizer vaccination, like to get it produced. I mean, brilliant guy. 
But we started talking about faith this week, and he said, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian. And he said, sometimes people think that to be a scientist and to be a Christian are antithetical. You can't have that. But he said, I believe that as a scientist, to believe in God has actually helped me to understand the world and be a better scientist. And I would encourage you, if you have doubts or questions, it's okay to ask. It's okay to find answers. And maybe it might take a while to find that answer, but it's worth searching out. The next one is examine how you live. You know, one of the things that when people look at Christians today, they say, does the message match up with the messenger, with the life? And my prayer is that that is true. You're not going to find a perfect person because there is no perfect person other than Jesus Christ. But are my eyes fixed on the perfect person, Jesus? David Platt once said, this is the stunning message of Christianity. Jesus died for you so that he might live in you. Jesus doesn't merely improve your old nature. He imparts to you an entirely new nature, one that is completely united with his. See, what we see in this text is that the way they lived reflected what they really believed. Let me say that again. The way they lived reflected what they really believed. Do you remember what happens here in the second part of the text? It says that the ones that, that, that were in Thessalonica learned what the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also. They came there to agitating and stirring up the crowds. They came there and they were, they were they, they, what they believed was coming out. They were agitating, they were, they were disruptive, they weren't helpful. They were causing more chaos than good. It was the fruit of who they were. And what I'm saying is this, that, that as Christian believers, if we are, are identified with Jesus, then how is our life looking more and more like Jesus? Because they believed in God. They said they believed in God. But they were causing chaos everywhere they went. And I don't want to be that type of person. Jesus says, says this in Matthew 7, 15 through 17. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. Friends, at the end of the day, there's only one church. It's Jesus' church. That's it. Like, we got a lot of labels. We got a lot of names. Like, I'm thankful that you guys are here. You, you might be a part of another church body. But what I'm telling you is this. Jesus says you'll know them by their fruit. And I pray that our fruit will reflect Christ. 
And I encourage you as Christians, one of the things that we're going to be doing this fall is we're going to be going through a study in city groups called Gentle and Lowly. And the reason we're doing that is because Christians today aren't known for being gentle and lowly. And you know how Jesus describes himself in Matthew 11? He says he's gentle and lowly. He's humble. The heart of Christ, the core of who he is, his heart, is lowly, meek, humble. Man, I I pray for humility. For humility. If we can be that, Praise God, right? That's the type of fruit we want to have. That's the heart of Christ. See, once we understand our identity in the logos and the script for life, that, that it's Jesus, this will lead us to have a purpose in our lives, but also out in the world. See, Jesus didn't just save us from our sins. He saved us to do good in the world. And that's what we see in the life of the Apostle Paul. We're going to talk about that more next week. But today, I want to end with this. John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Friends, as you examine Jesus, as you examine the life of Jesus, as you examine who he is and what he's done, my encouragement to you is this. Would you let him examine you? Would you let him examine your heart? Because it's him that can truly change your life. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this time to study your word. We thank you for the Apostle Paul and the message that was preached. We pray that we can be faithful to you. Thank you, Lord, for being with us. And thank you that it's not just a set of ideas that we believe, but it's truly the person of Christ and what he's done for us and that you're in our lives today. Thank you for your grace, Lord, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.